Thank you so much, Mukupo. That's, I wish there wasn't background noise there. We would actually use that voice note as a way of just, I don't know. We would have used it as a promo. It, it just sounded nice. Anyway, 2126, let the show go on. Thank you so much, Mukupo, for your wonderful clarity. Um, there clearly was a typo there because the reason why I was saying what I was saying, it was M-O-I-U-P-O. So I checked on the keyboard. This is how particular and pedantic I can be. I checked on the keyboard how close I is to K, and they are very close to one another. So I understand that instead of my seeing an, a K there, I saw an I, it is because I and K on the keyboard are very close to each other. So the name is Mokupo, M-O-K-U-P-O. Anyway, I've done my good deed for the day. Let's go to Mr. Mohammed Suleiman, UKZN medical student. Now listen to this. A fifth-year medical student at UKZN was elated to be announced as the winner of the 2023 South African Health Excellence Rising Star Award by the Health Clinics Group, together with the South African Clinician Scientists Society. Suleiman was shortlisted to the top three from a pool of 150 nominees, including doctors, senior scientists, and clinicians countrywide, and ultimately he was announced as first person or in first position. The second runner-up was from the University of Cape Town, and the third runner-up was from the University of Pretoria. Let's have a chat with the champion, though, this evening. Mohammed, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SAFM, and many congratulations. Thank you so much for the invitation, for your kind words, for that kind introduction. It is truly an honor for me to be speaking to you to, um, and to your listeners, of course. So thank you once again. Tell us about, first of all, what is being celebrated here. Why would you be announced as the winner of the South African Health Excellence Rising Star Award? What is it that you have done, produced, or researched, or unearthed in medicine, particularly in the clinical context, that has landed you this most prestigious award? So this is an award, um, and and from and from what. I, uh, I understand it's an award that is given every year and it's hosted by the health clinics group together with the South African clinicians, um, scientist group or the society rather. And every year I believe there's a panel of five judges countrywide that, um, that are in the committee. They accept nominations. These nominations come from individuals, um, throughout the country and in the period of the year. And then they shortlist the individuals in that group. They invite them to the ceremony and ultimately uh, they will announce the winner. And I've been fortunate to be, to be collaborating, to be networking with some of the senior most scientists in the country whom are my mentors, um, Professor Abdul Karim, Professor Glover, who's the medical school dean, and in some small way to be making contribution uh, to healthcare to serve health-related needs of our people. And to be announced as the winner, um, I consider myself neither suitable nor worthy for such an accolade, for such an achievement, or for, or for such um, a recognition. But I will humbly accept it, and I, and I see it as a means to motivate me to keep going um, in this um, this direction. 
We certainly do appreciate this, and you should not at all self-defeat, because I'm reading the profile here, and it tells me that, among other things, last year you were invited by the World Health Organization. You received a prestigious WHO Changemaker Scholarship in Geneva. Now, a scholarship is one thing, but for the scholarship to be awarded to only three medical students globally, and you happen to be one of them, is quite another. This is on top of the fact that you have recently or previously been one of the Mail and Guardian's top 200 young South Africans. That's the 17th edition of that. And of course, you've served on the editorial board of the International Journal of Medical Students. You're certainly not suffering fools gladly, buddy. You are on a mission. Now, tell us about your interests in medicine. Tell us about the research that has gotten you the sort of plaudits that are so richly deserved. And tell us what, in the grander scheme of things, this interest and or research is attending to in the clinical context where perhaps there might be more efficiencies or greater outcomes in terms of public health. So that's quite a loaded question. And um, so my interest when it comes to research or rather being involved um, in academia had actually started in 2019. It was sparked by a conversation I had with Professor Salim Abdul Karim, I think to be exact, 29th of March 2019 mm. at his office. And a discussion or rather um, it was meant to be a 20-second meet and greet had turned into a 20-minute robust engagement with him. And from that meeting, I had created a formula, and I call it CP3 or CP cubed. C stands for curiosity, P for passion, um, P1 passion, P2 persistence, P3 perseverance. And I think ultimately, um, these four items, they link up. To each other and it has a cyclical effect and when you apply to something that you hope to achieve then ultimately I think you will see or rather you will bear fruit uh, in your endeavor so um, in 2019 I had been with a colleague we were invited to the WHO for an intervention on antimicrobial resistance and ever since um, this journey has unfolded in terms of my interest in public health um, in relation to even HIV and AIDS, TB, um, in the last three years, COVID-19, but also in dermatology with the medical school dean, for which we are investigation, uh, we are investigating alopecia um, in African women, and the loss of hair it, is that it? Yes, yes, yeah. precisely that, mm-hmm. and um, and to be making some contribution in that spectrum. I think is an honor, but furthermore, to be working under um, these world-class academics that we have at UKZN that are not only recognized countrywide Mm. or on the continent, but worldwide, and to be under their tutelage, their mentorship, it's truly an honor, Um, and I certainly hope to grow um, in that kind of direction. Help us understand alopecia a little bit better now that this is something that has piqued your interest. So with alopecia, it's the loss of hair. It can be due to multiple factors, either genetic uh, or environmental. It can be hormonal, but also other conditions uh, that can be causing alopecia. Our recent study, which we had concluded just last week, by the way, 
um, it was on medical students, we're trying to define what is normal Afro-textured hair. And in our protocol, which I believe is about 24 pages, whereby we try to outline and define what is normal Afro-textured hair. The results are currently sitting with a company that's in Germany. They will do the analysis, and I think in the coming week, we will be doing a follow-up on that. So, um, and to be working with Prof. Glover, who, who, by the way, is the lead investigator in a study that was just published, I think, in 2019, whereby she identified the gene that causes um, central centrifugal alopecia in African women. And this was actually one of the landmark studies that had sparked my interest to be collaborating with her, to be learning um, under her tutelage. So um, uh, I'm truly honored to be connected, to have established a network and a relationship with these experts. But I think furthermore, um, my family has been quite supportive. I'm truly inspired by my parents, by my siblings. Um, they remain a, a source of inspiration for me at home to be motivating me, to be encouraging me, um, and ultimately, I'm, I'm truly grateful. Are they listening at least to this program? Because this is your moment of honor. <laughs> I believe they are listening. I did uh, speak to my mom to say that I will be on air, and I'm sure she is. Um, she, I'm sure she has tuned in, and if she has, I wanted to know that I love her, and I thank her for the support that she uh, she continues to give to me, and uh, and I hope I can be the person that my parents um, would like for me to be. I hope that I can do something whereby they would be honoured, they would uh, be pleased, you know, um, of my presence on uh, in this earth and the little contribution that I can make. If your parents have survived to listen to all of that, my goodness gracious me, they are strong because there's no parent who wouldn't want to hear a son speak so glowing, so glowingly of the manner in which they would have raised you. But if Mama and Papa are listening, 086-000-2032, that's the number to call Mama, Dada, that's the number to call, 086-000-2032. Tell us how listening to your son being honored as he has been, not just on this program, but this is the least of the honor what he has done globally for the advancement of medicine and how it makes you so fulfilled and proud. I mean, if I was your brother there, Suleiman, I would be telling everybody that I'm Mohammed's younger or older brother. <laughs> but let's talk about, for instance, the speech that you gave or the talk that you gave, um, that 90-minute presentation on the importance of ultrasound and related radiological advancements in regard to medical diagnostics. I'm really just trying to get into your mind as a scientist now, some of the things you think about, because I'm interested. There's somebody who's listening there who'd also be interested. And, and perhaps this is just an opportunity for us to get a sense as to the array and, and, and depth of your scientific and medical brain. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much, you know, for the kind words as always. So <clears throat> my presentation in the Middle East, I I had been invited alongside uh, four other students um, from other countries to do this presentation. And the point was, 
um, or rather this invitation was to seek a perspective from the medical student voice. How is ultrasound, what is, uh, how are the developments in terms of ultrasound in the country? And I simply spoke about my perspective on ultrasound, how it's used in the clinical setting, in particular point of care ultrasound. Now, when we look at point of care ultrasound, the the benefits are, are multifold. It helps in terms of um, of the diagnostics, in terms of the outpatient department in the trauma setting, and it can be used quite efficiently to increase the time to which a clinician can arrive at a um, at at a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But furthermore, in my presentation, I explored how does the undergraduate curriculum um, deal with ultrasound. So as you know, in the so in the country, we have a total of 26 higher education institutions, mm-hmm. 10 of which offer um, medical studies. But eight institutions offer, um, they offer radiology and, and the undergraduate program in terms of, um, of ultrasound and other radiologi- uh, radiological diagnostics. Mm-hmm. So I was simply speaking to the need to expand this kind of um, of service, but also in terms of the MBCHB curriculum, whereby we we are only exposed to ultrasound from fourth year onwards. That's Such Bachelor a of comp- Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery. Of Surgery, yes. MBCHB, so, yeah? Yes. So we are only exposed to ultrasound from the fourth year onwards. And are the you suggesting that's a bit too late? I am, yes. So the theoretical aspect, which we will touch on in the first three years, I think that needs to be improved. And um, part of my presentation touched on that. Part of it in the clinical setting, how point-of-care ultrasound can be used, how it can be, can be expanded. Even in terms in the rural setting, we need to increase funding for this kind of equipment um, such that the accessibility can be increased in our clinics, um, our primary health care facilities um, in the country. That's actually and a fascinating point. Sorry to interrupt you because I'm thinking if, for instance, I mean, an ultrasound is not a medical intervention. It's just a tool to understand what could be the issue with the patient. So it's 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 not an intravenous um a procedure. It's just a. It's, it's the equivalent of an X-ray in many respects, and I would imagine it should be readily available as a skill or a technical skill of any healthcare practitioner for the purposes of arriving or understanding what could be the issue, for the purposes then of clinical intervention. In your theory then, or in your understanding, what would have been the reasoning behind limiting the rollout of this, and even when it is rolled out, only at the advanced stage of fourth year? Because an ultrasound is like, do you need a doctor to tell you which direction the baby is facing? I'm just going to use an accessible ultrasound typical exercise. Or if it's a male or a female. Surely a nurse could and should be in a position to do that. One, because it limits the costs and it curtails the costs. And, and two, you can get the service rolled out that much quicker because the ultrasound in itself is not a clinical operation. It's just merely to understand or to see what's going on there. 
what exactly then needs to be done then might need proper clinical interventions and then perhaps the qualifications of a doctor might be required. Your thoughts? Yeah. So I think um, you are quite right. I think that it's a tool that is easy to use and, and therefore the training or rather the teachings of how to use it should be, um, should be exposed to all. And the point that I was trying to raise <clears throat> is that I think early on for the medical students as well, we ought to have this kind of exposure. And, um, and we should be trained early on about how to use it. And I think for all, for even the, um, for, for the allied healthcare professionals in other fields, mm-hmm. they ought to have some kind of exposure on how to use it. Not only when you come into the clinical setting, Absolutely. are you now a Yes, are you now exposed to it? And I think in terms of the limitations that um, that you touched on as to why it's important to even have it accessible in the rural setting, I think that in terms of the funding challenges, the infrastructure um, and the shortages on that end, that ought to improve that ought to be improved on the part of the government. And um, I think that in, in in the future discussions that I will be having even with the Department of Health, at the local level, um, these will be ironed out. Yeah. Especially in the context of primary health care. You know, primary health care is critical to know what is going on, to know the kind of patient you're dealing with. And something as simple as this could have, I would imagine, serious consequence for the better at a clinical level because this thing is readily available. It it is the eyes before the doctor's eyes. So, yeah, I mean, look, you've got a staunch supporter here, but nonetheless, we were engaging you to celebrate you, and we hereby do. It's a pity that Mama didn't have enough time to call, but for your incredible work in medicine, we can only wish you everything of the very best. And thank you as well for honoring your school as well as your professors by name, because it's not a one-person effort, but for now, the glory is yours, Mr. Mohammed Suleiman. Thank you so much for your kind words, for this invitation. For your words of encouragement, um, I I truly appreciate it, and I think it will serve as a means for me to keep going to um, to be making a contribution in some small way that I can, um, and it's and it's truly amazing to just be part of this um, of this journey. So, um, thank you so much once again for that. Absolutely. And I want to tell the government to take your passport away because at the rate of things, <laughs> we might lose you to another country. 2144, everybody. <laughs> Mr. Mohammed Suleiman, UKZN medical student, a champion in every respect.